1: man i was broke at the time they bought a new sports car i was living in scottsdale arizona i had a cool little apartment you know just living this cool life and then the recession hit the money dried up and i couldn't even pay afford to pay my car payment anymore and i was like i don't know what to do like i'm, I'm just kind of lost
0: This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Chris Reynolds. He is a high-performance coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, international speaker, and founder of The Business Method and Get Shit Done Live, both of which help entrepreneurs grow their businesses rapidly using high-performance productivity techniques. Chris is also the host of the Business Method podcast, which interviews successful entrepreneurs with the goal of dissecting the science and method of scalable business models. He has published over 400 episodes where he interviews the founders of six-figure, seven-figure, eight-figure, and even billion-dollar companies. Chris himself has been a location-independent entrepreneur and full time world traveler for nine years. He has created business accelerators in Spain, Brazil, and Thailand. He is an official juror of the Global Startup Awards, and he has helped entrepreneurs around the world scale their businesses and life using research-driven, high-performance
1: techniques. Chris, welcome to the show. Matt, I am I'm incredibly flattered by that intro. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And uh, a lot of people tell me I have a good podcast voice, but after hearing your intro, I think you've got one of the best podcast voices out there and you got a ton of energy. So let's make a good good podcast.
0: Well, and I got the perfect face for radio, they tell me, you know, so yeah. it, all, it, all, it all it all works out, man. Well, we should just set the context. You and I actually met each other on a rooftop bar in bangkok we were we were at the uh the dc the dynamite circle conference there which for folks that don't know is an annual gathering of location independent entrepreneurs from all around the world who converge on bangkok thailand uh and there's a big conference there and a whole bunch of really epic after parties one of which We met at, and we've been in touch uh, ever since then. So super, super stoked to have you on the show, man.
1: Yeah, and and we kind of met, I don't even know if you know this, but we kind of met serendipitously because I was was literally walking out the door and I saw your message come in on Instagram. And then I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to find him because there's like 300 people there or whatever. And as I was kind of doing the round to walk out, You walked right up to me and I, and you said, Chris, and I said, Matt, you know, and then we're like, ah, and so I had to leave to go to a friend's birthday party, but yeah, it was perfect timing. You said, let's do a podcast. I said, I can't do it in Bangkok. We're just too busy, but let's set it up and we'll do it online soon.
0: That's it, man. Well, the only disadvantage to not doing it in person is that I don't get to buy you a bottle of wine because otherwise we would be uh, opening that right now. But we'll do sort of a virtual uh, happy hour here. It's uh, late afternoon. And actually, interestingly, you and I, who have both been traveling the world full time for many, many years, are actually both currently in the United States. We're not together. I am actually recording this from New York City.
1: And where are you today? I am outside of Kansas City, Missouri. In, uh little suburb called Lee Summit. Awesome, man. Well, let's talk,
0: let's use that to kick it off. I would love to hear a little bit about your background story, where you grew up and your path to entrepreneurship. And as you're talking about sort of how you grew up, I would love to hear about, as you reflect back, if you had any sort of early entrepreneurial tendencies and what sort of your trajectory was that led you
1: to entrepreneurship? Well, we can start here in Lee Summit. This is where I grew up. My family's home is here. And I really enjoyed actually growing up in a place like Missouri. And are you originally from New York, Matt? Well, I went to high school
0: and middle school in Buffalo, New York, actually in Western New York. I have moved around a good bit, though, even in the United States growing up as a kid. So I was actually born in Chicago. And then I went to college in Cleveland. I went to grad school in DC, lived out in LA for a while. And I've sort of been all over the place.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it. So uh, the middle of America is really a unique place and and you don't realize that until you actually leave America and travel the world some. And you, you know, you spent some time in Chicago and in some other places. So you probably know this, but you know, uh, life is, is different here. It's not like life in New York or California like you see on TV. You know, it's uh, my mom's side of the family. They were all farmers. My heroes were farmers growing up. So, of course, I wanted to be a farmer as well. And in my dad's side of the family, we had a lot of blue-collar construction workers and, and like jack-of-all-trades in our family. And so I grew up like in that environment. You know, we, our hobbies as kids were, you know, of course, like the normal thing ride skateboards and bicycles. But we also hunted and we fished and we uh, went camping on a regular basis. Um, you know, what was active in the Boy Scouts. So we did cool things like learned archery and rifle shooting and wilderness survival at a young age. And so it was a really fun experience. Experience and I think it really molded me and made me more appreciative once I left the United States to realize how unique I think that is. Because I have a lot of friends, and you probably do too, Matt, that you know they'll spend thousands of dollars on a wilderness survival course or you know go learn how to shoot bows or throw axes or something like that or wood carve in these different countries around the world. And for me, like that was just normal day-to-day stuff here in Missouri. And so it was really fun because I get to spend a lot of time in the wilderness. My parents kind of live on the edge of the suburbs in the country. So I I spent a lot of time on the farms with my uncles and cousins growing up and uh, working on some farms and then doing construction with my dad. And and it was really good. I, I enjoyed that. I had zero... Other than like a farmer is a pure entrepreneur. I I completely would say that. But other than that, I have like zero people in my family that are entrepreneurs. But I think the thing that I really loved and what inspired me was when I saw these farmers, they had freedom, freedom of choice, freedom to create their own schedule, freedom to work the land. And that love um, of freedom is what kind of turned me on to farming. And I went on to school, to to university, uh, to study agricultural business because I was going to do that whole thing. That's what I wanted to do and after four years in school, I was just having so much fun in college, I decided, what the heck, let's stay another couple of years and go to grad school, and that was when I decided to study just general business instead of agriculture business, and it really opened my world. I remember taking this class, International Business, and we were learning about global economies and economies and cultures and, and different ways of policies and politics and and uh, different ways people hand, handle business in different countries around the world and it really blew my mind And that was the catalyst that, that told me that like okay if i go out and see the world i can always come back here to missouri and do my thing here in missouri That's awesome.
0: And from there, like when you got inspired by that, and you got that vision, you got that trigger. From there, what was sort of your business journey? Because I feel like a lot of people go to business school and then they end up working for companies, right? And I feel like the, the the people that choose the entrepreneurial trajectory is very different, even from people that want to go on and be executives and CEOs. That's a different type of you know mindset and a different type of person. So, you know, what led you in that direction, and then and then what
1: was your business journey like from there? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in grad school, like my mom bought me this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know you know a lot about being in the industry you're in. And that opened up, again, my eyes to a different way of operating in the world other than just getting a job for somebody. And I thought, oh, wow, we can buy storage units and rent them out or buy a house and rent it out or or start some sort of business and make some money. And so what I realized too at that time, Matt, is that It was my love or need for my own freedom that led me into the entrepreneurial world. Because I did, after grad school, I did have a couple jobs. And I worked in the mortgage mortgage industry for a year and nine months. But as soon as an opportunity came around to become an independent contractor for a company, and I was my own boss, just basically selling their product and start my own first entrepreneurial venture, I jumped on it. And it was almost like a no-brainer. So it was almost like it was in me from the very beginning. But I didn't know that, you know, at a younger age. And so it's just kind of led me in that direction.
0: And then how has your business journey been? In other words, when you initially took that leap and you tasted that freedom and you knew you wanted to go in that direction, how then was your path in terms of finding your true passion, finding your why? Finding your purpose and ultimately getting to the point where you have the
1: businesses that you are running now today and your passion. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been in the real estate industry, Matt? Oh,
0: professionally, uh, we founded Maverick Investor Group in 2007. So we've
1: okay. been doing that for 12 years. Good. So did you ever hear of the company called Nubarish? Yep, I have. Yeah. Okay. So I was living in, I was working in the mortgage industry. I'd left Missouri and I lived in, moved to Phoenix. And so I worked there for a year and nine months. And I went to this, basically a sales meeting or meetup where uh, this company, Nuverish, was talking about, you know, cash flow and rich dad, poor dad and all these things. And, uh, basically it was real estate investing school, which was a $20,000 package for 2 years and then if you bought the full package then you could sell the school to you know whoever your friends and family or people you meet and make $10,000 make 50% profit so as soon as I saw that, like I was on it, I was sold. <laughs> I worked with that that company for a couple of years, and that's where I really learned the school of hard knocks for entrepreneurship. And they had a really good sales training. They had some great people working with the company. They taught me about entrepreneurship. They taught me about sales even more than I had learned already. And of course, real estate and investing and financial management and all those things. Well, that was the good part of it. The bad part of it is that company was funded almost completely by credit, right? And so we would enroll people and quite often they were, you know, getting their tuition to this to go to the school from some sort of credit funding. So in 2008, when the recession hit, that company dried up and we couldn't sell anything. So it was really hard for us. And then I was kind of like, so I worked with them for a couple of years and I was broke, man. I was broke, broke. I, at the time, I... I I bought a new sports car. I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona. I had a cool little apartment, you know, just living this cool life. And then the recession hit, the money dried up, and I couldn't even pay afford to pay my car payment anymore. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, I'm just kind of lost. And Simultaneously, like, um, I had a friend who went through some hardships back here in the Midwest, and he said, "You know, come back, help me on the farm for a little while. You can get reestablished and make some money, at least put some money in your bank account, and then if you want to go back to Arizona later, you can. And so I decided, yeah, that's a good idea. So I left Arizona went back to the Midwest, spent nine months or so working with my friend on this farm and doing some other things around the area to make some money and put some money into my bank account and then during that time I finally picked up the book that I think is very important in my life and I'm sure you know it as well the four-hour work week and that's when my life started to change into the direction of the location independent entrepreneur route that that I've been headed down for the past nine years
0: Yeah, that was a mega influential book in my life as well. I had actually, at the very end of 2006, beginning of 2007, I was working at a full-time corporate job and I had gotten fired unexpectedly from my job and I had decided oh, yeah. that I was not going to apply for another job. I was going to figure out how to start my own business, except I had no business background. <laughs> so I went to the bookstore <laughs> and I started reading books. And I literally just drove to Barnes & Noble and sat there reading books all day. And then this was 2007. And then one day, you know, the first thing I'd do, I'd walk in to the store each day and I'd check the new business book section. And one day I walk in and there's a brand new book on the table called The 4-Hour Workweek and I literally picked it up and read it the day that it came out because I was in the bookstore every day wow. monitoring the new books wow. and uh, I said that's what I'm doing and that was 2007 and then I you know recruited two business partners who are still we're still together today as business partners I literally mailed them each a copy of the book <laughs> and I said I said wow. let's read this and let's build a business using these principles to create a uh, location-independent infrastructure. You know, and our business is not in a traditionally virtual space by any means, right? We own a real estate yeah. brokerage and we help people actually buy deeded physical real estate and we can run it though from anywhere in the world, right? So we did that by by yeah. having that four-hour work week vision for the, the value of location independence that we wanted our business to create and facilitate for us. And then we just reverse engineered by asking, how would we create this business with a location-independent infrastructure? What obstacles are there to doing that? How would we overcome them? And you know, we just built that in 07. And my business partners and I've never lived in the same city for even a day since the founding of our company. We've all lived in different places since day one. And we're able to move around and travel at will and structure our lifestyles as we choose. But that that book was it, man. I mean, that was the seminal piece of...
1: <laughs> that that book was everything that sparked it for us, for sure. Absolutely. And so many people are like that. Like I had the exact same experience. I, I read the book, and I thought, this is me. This is what I'm going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to do that, whatever it said in the book, and find some way to make money and, and make a business. And I ended up reading the book four times. I couldn't put it down, and I used it as a study guide. I even bought the audio, and I think I listened to the audio like 10, 11 times or something like that. And I just engulfed myself into it and doing every little thing that it said. And yeah, it's really transformed so many lives. I wish Tim, Tim Ferriss, the author, would write another one, an updated now like 2020 version. Um, I don't think he wants to, but it would be really cool to see an updated four-hour work week for sure. But I, I think that book will go down in the history as one of the classics that has really changed Hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Absolutely.
0: And so from there, for you, you read that book, all of a sudden the light bulb went on for you as it did for me. You had that vision. And then what was your path to location independent entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah. So I started like doing some funky things. Like I was in the Midwest and all these libraries were getting rid of their books. And I decided, oh, I'm going to sell some books on Amazon. And so this is 2009. Like I'm selling these books on Amazon. And this is actually like, as I've been reviewing my past decade, you know, the end of this past decade, I thought to myself, oh my God, I was selling on Amazon in 2009. I sold for six months. I told myself this did not work. And then I moved on to something else. And, and just imagine, like, I don't know a lot of people that had sold on Amazon the past 10 years. If I would have stuck with that, I probably would have been close to retirement by now. <laughs> but uh, it was just one of those hindsight is twenty twenty things. And so I did that. And then I think at the time, Tim Ten Ferriss' Ten blog was running this contest, like who's the best digital nomad or who has the best four-hour work business. And there was a guy there in the contest, the guy, I think he got second place. I think I emailed or tried to contact like the top five. And one of the guys, his name was Mish Senti. He's the younger brother of Ramit Senti from I will teach you to be Rich.com, which is a pretty uh, popular financial blog. And um, he was traveling the world and teaching people how to be a digital nomad. And so I plugged in with him and he got me plugged in with this company called the Keyword Academy that helped you learn how to search for keywords, build niche websites online and start to make some ad revenue from them. So I started to do that. I started to build some of these niche websites online, make a few bucks here and there. It started building off on itself. And finally, about a year and a half afterwards, I was like, okay, I'm ready to bite the bullet. Like I'm buying a one-way ticket. I'm going to Costa Rica. I'm going to do this thing. And I had some savings and and I did it. It was pretty thrilling. That was April 27th, 2011. It's like my second birthday because that was the step, the initial step into the location entrepreneurial world,
0: awesome. And then from there, how did you ultimately develop your passion for high performance techniques and accelerated productivity and all that kind of stuff? How did you eventually arrive at that as your your kind of core passion?
1: Yeah. So it, it was a bit of a journey. So when I arrived in Costa Rica after a couple of months, Google wrote an algorithm that wiped out a lot of the income from the niche websites, and so that was a shock. So I started doing some contracting work online to help me bring in some, some revenue while hanging out in Costa Rica. And then what I wanted to do while I was traveling, I always thought it would be cool to do like a giving back project or some sort of like charity project. So I had a friend in San Jose, Costa Rica, who had connections with this clinic that basically took in orphan children that had developmental disabilities. And so we thought, hey, let's climb the tallest mountain in Costa Rica and raise up a bunch of money on social media and give it to these kids. So we did that project. It probably took three or four months or so. It was a lot of fun. We brought some people down from the States, some people from Europe to come join us, and it was. It was a blast. And at the end of it, uh, the group said, hey, why don't you do this? I was planning to move to Peru after that. The group said, hey, why don't you uh, do this when you move to Peru? And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. So I started blogging about this and I started writing about this inspirational trips and I started these projects and I started doing inspirational blogs and putting them out. And so I guess it would have been a year later or so, we did the second project when I was in Peru, and it was to raise money to build a farm, a sustainable farm for malnourished children in Peru. So these kids that live in the Andes at these high altitudes, they eat mainly just rice and potatoes because they can't grow a lot of food up there and they don't know how, they don't have the technology. So we we wanted to build this farm and greenhouse where they could grow all these different types of foods and use this as a classroom so they could then use that food and have a healthy lunch every day. So we did that. We raised up a bunch of money and brought a bunch of people down. We actually homesteaded the land at the farm with the, uh, the kids' families and we were breaking dirt and moving boulders and everything and that started out as a thousand square meters now that farms at 12,000 square meters and seven years later it's still producing food for those kids on a regular basis so that was a fun thing and I continued to blog about that and then so this is a bit of a long story but then I wanted to do another project I found this project to finish the construction of a home in Ghana and this this charity Adopted children out of slavery in Ghana and put this in a home so it could give them a chance to have a real future. So I decided I, w- I was going to hike across Spain, walk the Camino de Santiago, raise up a bunch of money, so then go down to Ghana, finish the construction of the home. And so what I realized like through all of this. Eventually, after I did that project, I ended up in Barcelona. And what I realized through this time, Matt, is like while I was traveling the world, while I was doing these projects, while I was also working online, I was just picking up high performance techniques, productivity techniques as I went along. And I just really kind of thought I was working hard. You know, I was like, oh, you know, I can work more if I do work for 50 minutes and then take 10 minutes break and then work for another 50 minutes and then take a 10 minutes break, do push ups and sit ups in between. And if I eat healthy, if I eat like, you know, high protein and lots of vegetables, I can have more output and I can work like 12, 14, 16 hours a day sometimes. And so I would just pick up this stuff and put it in the back of my head. So when I landed in Barcelona, one of the things that I actually did miss from traveling is having like a group of like-minded entrepreneurs and people that worked on personal development that I had back in the day when I was living in Phoenix and working with Nuva And I miss that a lot traveling because there's a lot of cool people you meet, but not everybody is into the entrepreneurship thing. And so I felt like I was kind of lonely, but when I landed in Barcelona, I had a roommate who said, Hey, let's, uh, let's live together and then set goals together and let's just have a good fun month. So we did that. And I realized my productivity levels even went higher. Like they really, they scaled up even higher and I was just getting better and better at this stuff. So then I decided to put it out on the DC forum. This is back in 2014, the community that you and I actually met at their conference, the dynamite circle. And I decided to put it in the forum and say, Hey, Who wants to live in Barcelona for a few months? We'll live together, set goals together, enjoy the city, and just have a good time. So 12 people decided to come to that. And that was really the beginning of creating these business accelerators where people were working together. And because we worked together to scale business together, it became like an amazing experience for people to be incredibly productive while also having an incredibly fun time in a new city around the world and get a lot of results done. And uh, that's what led me into a high-performance world and creating business accelerators around the world.
0: So awesome, man. I relate to so much of what you're saying. So for me, I told you I got I got fired from my job unexpectedly around 2007, but what I had done my entire career, including all my graduate work and all my professional work experience, Was that I had worked in the nonprofit advocacy space. And so that for me was my entire passion and what I had dedicated my entire life to, all the way literally up until the age of 30. Right. And so, and so for me, when I made the transition to entrepreneurship, I was like, whoa, like, am I going to be selling out? Am I going to be abandoning my values? Like, all this kind of stuff. And so, the really cool part was that one of my business partners also did her graduate work with me in the same program, Valerie, and she was also working in the nonprofit space and all that. And so I was able to get her as a business partner. So I knew I had that grounding. And then what we did when we were founding our company is we were saying, how do we institutionalize you know, our values and the positive impact we want to make into our company? And so we just created an institutional component where we said, okay, 10% of all the revenue you know. Before we distribute any money to ourselves as owners or managers, all the net revenue that comes in, 10% of it is going straight off the top into these charities that we care about so that we're incentivized for the business to do better financially because the better the business does, the better then so do the charities that we care about. So, yeah, I I relate to that positive impact stuff a lot, man. I think you really need to have that, that why and that core passion and that bigger vision there to motivate you to really do all the grinding work that comes along with entrepreneurship. (laughs) But that's awesome, man. Now, I got to ask you this, though. I, I literally just spent three months in West Africa this year. And I spent one of those months in Accra in Ghana. And it just was unbelievable. Did you end up getting to Ghana and spending
1: some time there? So uh, yeah, that, that's another story in itself. So I was in Barcelona and I, and we had the, the trip planned to Ghana. I had walked the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500-mile pilgrimage, put it all up on social media and, and raised up a bunch of money to do the project. So the, the group, we were all ready to go. And one of the things that I had to do is I had to to get a visa to go to Ghana. I had to mail my passport back to the U.S., get a visa to go to Ghana, and then mail it back to Spain. And when it got mailed back to Spain, I got the visa. When it got mailed back to Spain, my mom had (laughs) mailed it standard mail instead of first class, and it got lost in the Spanish mail system. So literally, like everybody flew down to Ghana. All of my friends, I put the project together. They were all just supporting me. They're down in, so they flew to Accra, spent a couple of days, and then they they went, I think it's seven or eight hours to this little village called Atomi. and they were there. And about halfway through, finally my passport shows back up in Barcelona, and I'm like. Uh, if I get down there now, I already lost my first flight. If I leave now, it'll probably take a day or two, about a day and a half to two days for me to get to the village. And then there's like three days left or four days left in the whole project. And, and then everybody goes home. And so I was like, well, I think I'm just going to let you guys, like I'm going to let my team handle it, like my support group. I'll just observe here from Barcelona and, and wish you guys the best and, and put some pictures up <laughs> on social media. So it was a bit, it was heartbreaking. Cause like afterwards, after that happened, I was numb for like two days. Cause I had spent months, you know, I, I hiked across the country for this project, you know, and, and, um, I was mad at my mom for about two days. And then after the two days, like, I was like, you know what, my mom, she does a lot for me. She's been a great mother. Like, I can't hold it against her. And, you know, she was upset too. She was crying because she, you you know, did this. And so, you know, I forgave her. I said, I'm sorry. And the project went well. You know, I'm sure it happened for a reason. I actually, one of the reasons I think it happened is because I ended up staying in Barcelona and over the next year and then creating a business accelerator there. And I don't know if I would have stayed in Barcelona. Now it's like one of my favorite cities in the world. And I've spent nearly two years there collectively. If I didn't have that, you know, failed trip to Ghana uh, situation happen, I, I may have not made Barcelona such a special place in my life. So, who knows? Like, it worked out for a good reason. Yeah, that's awesome. And of course,
0: you're a nomad, so you can always go back anytime. I've been telling people about West Africa like the whole year. I was there, I did Nigeria, I did, so I was in Lagos for about a month and then I was in Accra for about a month and then I went through the Ivory Coast and then I did another month in Dakar in Senegal, which was just unbelievable. So really, really, really special. Uh, Definitely want to go back to the continent again next year and I've been telling everybody about it. But that's the beauty of being location independent, man. You, You know, if you miss one, Trip, you can always go back another time. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> nomad problems, right?
0: <laughs> awesome. So, let's, I want to drill down now a little bit on some of the stuff that you teach in terms of some of these high performance techniques and all of that. So, on your website, it says that you teach the science of how high performers apply habits, priorities, mentality, and neurochemistry to make it possible for regular people to get superhuman results. Can you talk a little bit about those principles and break down a little bit about what you teach with the business method?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's really good copy. I didn't even know it was written that well. (laughs) Uh, It sounds really impressive, guys, like to any of the listeners. However, it's a very simple process. I mean, it really is just dumbed down to finding the structure of, some sort of goal setting system, figuring out what your true priorities are, and then having some sort of some form of accountability to help you get those goals. And what happens in that process is, you know, when you're productive and you're focused, you get into what they call now as flow states or in the zone is what they used to call it. And when you're in these flow states, Really awesome things are happening to our brains. Like we're becoming more focused. There's an energy shift from the prefrontal cortex to different areas in our brain. And everything becomes more intensified and a lot of times that's when time passes by just real quickly and and you don't even realize it. So if you ever had time, which we all have, time just like fly by and you're like, oh my God, that was two hours. It felt like 20 minutes. That's when you're in these high performance flow states. Then what also is happening is our brain releases depending on the state of mind and the activity, uh, different neurochemicals that make us feel good, that make us more focused, that make us perform at a different level. So those are fun. And if we learn how to manage this all, which it does take its balancing act. And if we learn how to manage it all, we can really get a lot of shit done in a little amount of time. And we can really be incredibly fulfilled in the activities that we do. And we can understand our own priorities and our own selves and how we can operate and how we can live better. So is there any out of that, Matt, would you like me to like start on one part of that in particular?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know that one of the things that you teach, Chris, in terms of where to begin is this concept of lifetime vision, and then from there to work backwards and break things down. I would love for you to maybe even just start there and talk about what that means, why it's important, and then what the next steps are after that.
1: Yeah, so when we plan long-term, the activity in our, our the prefrontal cortex in our brains is being increased. And that's great because if we, we need a healthy prefrontal cortex to plan long term, but also to tell us to control our impulses. And it's kind of like the CEO or the brakes of our brain. You know, we come to a cliff, the brain says, ah, oh, Cliff, don't jump. And that's your prefrontal cortex kind of guiding you throughout your life and keeping you safe in many ways. So we need this because it develops also a healthy sense of self, a healthy perception of yourself, and it helps us plan long-term. So planning long-term is not something that most people are good at, unfortunately. We're generally impulsive, and we generally plan for like the next month, if that, maybe the next quarter humans are much better at planning their next vacation than they are planning their investment strategy or how they're going to pay off their mortgage or buying their next car and most of those purchases come on some form of impulse or even investing it does too it's why so many people get wrapped up in bad investment deals because they're they're investing on impulses and so the more we can practice planning long-term, the more we're strengthening that part of our brain, that prefrontal cortex, and the better we'll become at it. So for a lot of people, it's really difficult to write down a plan or even just picture themselves at the end of their lives. And to look back on our lives and all the cool things that they created. So throughout my personal development experience, these different courses that I went to would challenge me and they'd say, okay, make a three-year plan, make a 10-year plan, make a 25-year plan, make a 50-year plan, make a 100-year plan, and make a 500-year plan. And so when we do that, when we make a plan that's 500 years from now, how is the world different? Because I was in this world in the life that I lived. It's much different than planning the three year plan or the one year plan or the, the few month plan because it's a long term, bigger perspective, and our priorities are much different. So, I recommend anybody doing that just as a fun exercise, writing down, taking some time, take some time where there's no distractions, and you can really put a couple hours into this, okay? Even if it's, it's even better if you can take a weekend and go to a cabin and be by yourself and just bang some ideas out and journal. But write down like why the world's different because you were in it 500 years from now. And then write why the world is the way it is 100 years from now. And that will help you. It'll be much easier to fill in the blanks of the other plans. Okay, what do you want your life to be like 50 years from now? And You can fill in those blanks because you have a bigger vision because you have the 500 and 100 year vision. And then same thing with a 25-year plan, 10-year plan, three-year plan, and then whatever you want to achieve in the next year. And so I think that's really beneficial for anybody. And I do that on a regular basis, like every Sunday night. When I plan my week, I picture myself when I'm 95 years old and all the things that I've done, I even talk to myself, like have a little conversation with my 95-year-old self and say, you know, what should I work on this week that will keep me in alignment with all the things that I want to do over the next 55 years, 65 years or whatever. And then I put that down in my weekly planning.
0: Awesome. And then from there... Chris, what is the next step? So once someone has that and they've got the planning and they've structured it that way, how do they then break down and structure a productive day? Can you talk a little bit about the Pomodoro principle, which you sort of alluded to earlier, as well as the deep focus work that you just mentioned? And what should a a really productive day structure look like for somebody?
1: So a, a really productive day, I think, comes from clarity and knowing what you want at least the next three years to look like. And so if you know what you want to achieve in the next three years, it's then much easier to figure out what you want to get in the next year. And then also what you need to do every quarter, the goals you need to set and create every quarter. And then, When you sit down every week and you plan your weeks, you know exactly what you need to achieve that week to be in alignment with your quarter. And then every evening when you write down your tasks for the next day or when you plan the next day out, whether it's evening or morning, you're in alignment with all of that. And that value feels really good. I think most of us have a hard, we don't really have a good sense of, of clarity and grounding. And when we take that time to really plan out our clarity and grounding becomes very secure. Our minds become more peaceful because we're not torn by decisions on a regular basis. And so then what comes into play is like, okay, how can things like taking time for deep focused work and and doing Pomodoros accelerate that? So every evening when I write my three most important tasks down, I think, okay, well, in the morning, I need at least three hours of my deep focused work, uninterrupted focused time. So I like to get up early. I like to start work at the latest around 7 a.m., and so by 10am i've got my deep focused work it's usually longer than that and so i can focus on one really important thing maybe it's creating a new course maybe it's finding new people to come on the podcast maybe it's whatever something a juicy a project where you're working on your business not in it not checking email not answering facebook messages and then you can do things like pomodoros so for those that don't know, the Pomodoro originally is like 25 minutes of work and then a five-minute break, 25 minutes of work and five-minute break. That's great if you want to like clean out emails and do miscellaneous tasks, do little things that you don't need deep concentration and creativity for. If you want to excel the concentration and creativity and have a longer, more productive day, what's really good is the 50, 50, 50 minutes on and then 10 minutes off. So when I was promoting the projects, uh, the charity projects, and also working online and pulling like 12, 14, 16-hour days, I would work for 50 minutes and I would take 10 minutes off to do push-ups, maybe do some laundry, do something that gets my body moving, do some dishes, whatever. And that was a big driver. Now, science and research says if you want the deep-focused work, which is why three hours in the morning is really good, for flow states, 90 minutes of work on and then 15 minutes off is the perfect match for the average match for most people. It can vary based on each personality, right? But that works really well. So in the morning, that's what I'll do. I'll work 90 minutes, take about 10, 15 minutes off and work another 90 minutes. That gives my brain time to get into a deep, more creative state. And what's really cool We interviewed Stephen Kotler, and he talks about this. When you get into these flow states, your creativity spikes 400 to 700%, and that is huge. I guarantee anybody out there that could take a supplement or take some pill that spiked their creativity on a regular basis, 400 to 700%, that would be the hottest pill out there. They would sell off the shelves. And the good thing is you don't have to do that. You can do that naturally just by learning to hack flow and understanding these flow states.
0: Can you also talk about the importance of environment? I know that's another one of your pillars that you teach and what people should be thinking about when designing their work environment and also just
1: eliminating
0: distractions and that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. So it really comes down to what makes you feel good and it can change. The environment can change. Sometimes, you know, right now I'm visiting my family, so I'm literally in a room by myself Um working on a bunch of stuff and getting a lot of stuff done, that's working well for me. But it's only a limited time. I can max do that maybe four weeks until I need to be in a type of environment where I need other creative entrepreneurs around me. Um, A lot of times I prefer to be around location-independent entrepreneurs just because we can have the same conversations. It's going to differ between every person. If you're an introvert, maybe you need to be closed off in an office all the time and two, you really need to minimalize your time with other people. And if you're an extrovert, maybe you need to be in an open co-working space where you can talk to people, engage in conversations. It just bottom line just comes down to whatever gives you more energy. Is it being around people or is it being alone? Sometimes it's a mix of both. Sometimes even as an extrovert, we have to be alone quite a while so when we are around people we can be fully expressive with all of them and it's not actually doing the reverse and draining our energy so like some people like i recommend some productivity music brain fm is a great one like if you have some noise canceling headphones that can stop distraction especially if you're add or borderline add which a lot of entrepreneurs are one little distraction can completely take you out of flow state, can completely take you out of your deep focus. And it'll take, you know, anywhere from 15 minutes to two hours to get back into that state of mind, depending on whatever you're working on. Sometimes we need the right lighting. Yellow lighting is great for uh, bedrooms and houses, but it's horrible in working environments most of the time for some people. And then vice versa, white lighting. For me, white lighting is absolutely horrible inside of a house or a bedroom, um, but it's much better for co-working spaces and offices. And all these things take a little toll and it takes some time for each individual to figure out what works and what doesn't work for them. Because you and I Matt like you you're a serial traveler, I've been traveling nine years. I'm a slow traveler. I usually spend like two to five months in a place at minimum, and before I go to the next place, and I need that that works well for me. if I traveled like every couple of weeks, it I couldn't be very productive at all and it it would stress me out a lot and so for us though, being location independent, in some way being in different countries really helps us be more creative and be really productive. So it's a learning act for everybody. You know, everybody it's a little bit different and and you've got to just take some time to test that out to see what works for you and what doesn't. I want to ask you a follow up question on that. I get a lot of questions about
0: this in terms of the nomad life and being a entrepreneur who travels and changes locations. Do you have any specific tips specifically for nomads that are changing locations? For example, people are asking about you know, time zone changes when you're changing a city and you're changing an apartment. Is that whole thing, is that a routine disruption? You get into a new place, there's new exciting things there that you want to see and different types of stimuli. Is that a disruption to your routine and so forth? So what specific tips do you have for people that are nomadic, they are moving around, as you say, and they are doing that for all the benefits, right? Uh, the excitement and the creativity and all the things that it you know inspires for us. But what about the challenges that might make that more difficult to maintain a routine? What tips do you have pr- for productivity for those types of entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah. So specifically for people that are traveling and want to be very productive in their work at the same time. This is something that I've worked a lot with and had to figure out just on my own is that when I have my planning down, when I have my my weekly planning and my quarterly goals, when I land into a new city or a new country, I need to make sure that I have accommodation as soon as possible with good internet, of course. And then the next thing is like, you know, a good grocery store, preferably a healthy grocery store or a market that's close. And then a gym That's close as well. So, my priority when I land into a new city or country is not to go see the new city and country because that's easy to do. And that's going to happen, especially if you spend a bit of time there. Like I mentioned, I it's like a a month is too short for me in one place. Like I have to stay at least a month, preferably two months or more. And so when I go and see the city or the country is on the weekends and in the evenings. So I still have my foundation. I still have my goals. I still have the things I need to do to be productive. All I'm doing is changing one office basically or accommodation to another office, to another accommodation. And so my daily routine stays pretty much the same. I'm going to work out at the same time, no matter what that exercise is. I'm going to meditate at the same time. I'm going to have my work hours at the same time. And then I'm going to go eat dinners, you know, or lunch at the same time as well. And so the only things that's changing is that external environment. So the internal environment really is kind of staying very similar. And then the external environment is changing. And in the evenings, we'll go out and try new restaurants or we'll go on the city tour or go on some adventure. Now, that, now if you're not doing the slow mad, that's kind of the slow mad route. If you're doing a more, you know, every one, two or three weeks going to a different city or country, you have to learn some sort of balance because it becomes very difficult between between prioritizing going in, in to see that new city and country. And I'd be curious to hear your tips on it because you travel a lot. versus like doing yeah having your work hours and there's some people that can flat out you know they have to change every week they have to change a different apartment but what i found is like there's a lot of friction there's it takes a lot of time to find a new apartment a new house book flights transportation finding places to eat if you want to keep that regular routine up so i'd be curious to ask you matt like how do you manage it
0: Sometimes two to four unit properties and they're either brand new or fully renovated and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode.
1: Because you've been to more countries than I have. You've been to 60 countries in the past seven years or something. Yeah, that's right. And
0: some of those, I mean, to be clear as well, I choose to slow mad as well. I am a strong advocate of staying in places at least one month, if not two or more. So yeah. when I say I've been to 60 countries, that is true over the last seven years. I mean lifetime it's probably I don't know up to 75 or so now. But in the last since I've been a full-time nomad, I've been to over 60 countries. So what I'll normally do I'll go to one place for like a month or two, right? I like to get that if I'm doing an Airbnb to get that Airbnb discount, or if I'm joining up with a work travel program, they usually have sort of one month blocks and that kind of stuff. So I will usually stay at least a month. And then sometimes what I'll do is as I'm transitioning to another place, I'll do a stopover, right? So like when I was in Accra in Ghana for a month, and then I was going to go to Dakar and Senegal for a month. I just did a stopover in the Ivory Coast for like a long weekend, right? Yeah. So I'll count that as three countries, but ultimately it was basically like two one-month stays and then just kind of like a long weekend in between, but it's ultimately yeah. it's three countries. So my list isn't sort of divided Exactly equally. I mean, my longest stay nomading since I left the US was I was actually in Cairo for about nine months consecutively. So, you know, I will stay play I was in Buenos Aires for probably about four months or that kind of stuff. So I, I totally advocate for the slow matting thing, but I totally agree with you about really having to prioritize your routine and your needs and getting yourself set up and comfortable as soon as possible. So I usually transition on the weekends. And then I'll spend that weekend, like you said, getting the groceries, getting the gym access, getting the workspace access, like all the stuff that I need to be productive, setting up the routine, and then just you'll obviously have plenty of time to explore the city, and don't let that be, you know, something that's gonna take you out of your routine because you have to actually prioritize, you know, your work productivity if you want to sustain the lifestyle. And I feel like the reason I feel like actually Chris is interesting. I, th- I feel like there's very few people that have sustained the lifestyle as long as you and I have, right? Me for seven years, you for nine years now. And I feel like it's because they don't give the proper attention and nurturing to the different sustainability pillars, right? So maybe they don't work enough. They just party all the time. They run on money, you know, (laughs) or they don't prioritize community, you know, and then they get lonely or they don't, you know, I mean, it's like anything else in life. If you want to actually sustain it, you need to pay attention to the pillars. Yeah whether they're, they're, they're social, financial, health, or anything else that, that allow you to sustain it, which actually brings me to another question that I want to ask you about. I mean, I'll always love to add the nomad component, but also this question is just in general for entrepreneurs. In addition to carving out the time to do the productive work blocks and eliminating the distractions, there's also a mental and emotional preservation aspect to productivity and i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that and the importance of things like meditation nutrition exercise and other types of aspects of life that are really important to the mental and emotional state that we need to be in to optimize our productivity
1: yeah great question again you know it's it's there's so many variables so this also like depends on different times in your life, like what's gonna be optimal for you, what is not gonna be optimal. But generally, like the most important thing is that we take a bit of time to observe it and be aware of our patterns and what's working and what's not working. So for example, why I meditate now is because meditation gives me a deeper, more relaxed state of mind. So I'm more creative. I'm more clear when I do my deep focused work and then when I do my work in the afternoon, Then I'm, uh, I know exactly what I need to do as well and I can just bang out a bunch of miscellaneous stuff but also it helps to take time off in the evening. So we interviewed a guy named Christian Chasmer, and he said he 10 x his productivity and scaled his businesses to $5 million. And the key to him to do that was taking a hard stop at 7 p.m. every single day. So the more that I explore this and the older I get, I think this is really important because what keeps us working 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day for a long period of time is one, that passion to build something. And that's okay. But the truth is, it's really not sustainable. You have to have some sort of balance to manage your energy levels throughout that period of time. And the worst thing that we could do is burn out. So you don't like your business anymore. You don't like your work. You don't like your lifestyle. You don't like traveling. So you need to maintain that balance. So that's why I like... I I kind of I work about eight hours a day. That's my goal. So I like to get up early. I like to do my meditation. I'll do my deep focused work three, four, sometimes five hours. I'll do the miscellaneous tasks in the afternoon, and then I take the the evening off and I have a nice dinner. Maybe I'll watch some Netflix or meet up with some friends, go for a run, go for a swim, anything that keeps me you know, in place or keeps me balanced. And one thing that, that also I think is important, we interviewed Hal Elrod, who's the miracle morning guy, and he talks about all these different things he does the first hour of his morning, uh, which I think is important, but I don't think it's for everybody. So the morning routines really kind of help us get into this, this state that can relax our minds and be more clear and help us get into more flow states. But like for me, my miracle morning is I need three things to make my day great. And as long as I have these three things, my day almost always turns out really damn good. One thing is meditation. The, the second thing is exercise. And the third thing is planning. And if I have these things, I don't know if I've ever had a bad day when I have those three, three things in my day. And so as long as I keep those in, if my stress levels are always are, are going up, I can just think back and I think, oh, my stress levels are higher because I haven't been meditating. I skipped a few days or I didn't exercise. I skipped a few days or I haven't planned this week. I haven't taken the time to plan. It's now Wednesday. Let's sit down and plan the rest of the week out at least. And so when I get those in, it's like things are productive. Things are on point. Things are always going. And there's something, too, that I've explored a lot that I think is 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 really essential and it's the difference between anabolic activities and substances and catabolic activities and substances so anabolic is defined as life giving or life energizing activities and substances. okay, And then catabolic activities and substances are things that take your life or your energy away. So a perfect example is like too much alcohol, catabolic activity, catabolic substance, too much sugar, catabolic uh, substance, exercise, anabolic activity, healthy food, anabolic substances. And so When we put things, we put everything into these two categories, is this activity or is this substance, is it giving me more energy or is it taking my energy away? And it's easy to say, "Eh, this is taking my energy away. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to use it anymore. Or say, this is actually giving me more energy. I want to do more of that. I want to double down on that. And that is a really simple way to manage our energy levels, and it works incredibly well. When you start to realize, you know, that candy or that cake that you eat every single evening, or that pizza, or those those one too many drinks, is really taking your energy and taking your time away to be productive and do the things that you want to do and help you feel good over time. And you're like, ah, like I just I'm, I'm gonna stop that. And I'm going to do more anabolic activities and, and have more anabolic substances that make me feel really good. And this helps with the balance in life. This helps with the over, this, this fulfillment of being happy and fulfilled and the sense of being productive on a day to day basis. And so that's, I think, a really, uh, a good way to, to take a look at it. Just measure everything between is it, is it something that gives me more energy, uh, or something that takes my energy away?
0: That's awesome. I want to ask you about one more productivity hack that I have heard you shared that I thought was really interesting because you shared the science behind it. And that has to do with what to do with the phone, which is our primary distraction in the modern era, right? I mean, and it's like, even if you were to silence all of your notifications or something like that, I still find myself just... Reflexively, habitually, just picking up the phone, opening it, you know, checking for something, clicking, you know, swiping through something, and just that I go there as a habitual distraction. And I was wondering if you can just, as sort of the final productivity tip before we move on, if you could just share your tips about what to
1: do with the phone. For sure, man. So we need to look at our phones like we would look at a business partner, a spouse. A boyfriend, girlfriend, or a pet. Now, if we were attached to any of those twenty four seven, we would be incredibly we would we would go crazy. We'd go crazy, the relationship would, you know, Turn to a disaster, and it would just uh, 100% nobody in history ever would say that's a healthy way to live, right? So, we need time alone. We need time apart from our spouses and our partners and our pets and whatever. And so, we need time away from our phone. Everybody knows you need time away from the TV, you need time away from the computer. Nobody's sitting there, very few people are sitting here saying, We need time away from our phone. It's such a great and powerful tool that, that helps us live these incredible lives that we think we become a bit dependent on it. And the practice of taking time away is really proven over and over to be very healthy for us. And so the University of Texas did this study recently where they figured out that our cognitive ability to focus and to be productive is reduced when our phones are on and within like about five feet away from us even if they're in our bags so basically what happens is our subconscious mind whether our phone if our phone is close enough to us even in being hidden then our subconscious mind is thinking about picking it up and checking you know maybe somebody messages maybe i got a new facebook like, whatever and so The way for us to get that full cognitive ability back is to turn off our phones and to hide it from ourselves, preferably in another room. And so when we do that, our subconscious tells us our phone's not close. I can't check it. I can't, you know, it's turned off. So it takes a while to like even check it. So there's no way that I can really easily. And so then um, you get your full cognitive capabilities back. This is even being being measured to where like IQ levels are are significantly reduced when our phones are around us too. And I don't think anybody wants to be, you know, less smart. And so so what I do is I, I turn off all my apps on the phone basically from midnight to about ten thirty in the morning i get no messages whatsoever the apps are closed and then also i usually don't even check the phone until after lunch so it's usually like 12 or one o'clock and, and some people like and friends especially like we can never get a hold of you I'm like yeah because I'm, I'm taking some time away from my phone <laughs> i'm doing what's healthy and i'm focusing on focusing on my work But then in the afternoon and the evenings I'll have access to it so I can catch up with messages or whatever. But another really fun kind of game or exercise to do is, is to go out with friends or a social event or a date or dinner or anything. Go out and leave your phone at home. And most people I know a little fear like kinda jumps up in them when I say that. Well, what if we get lost and we need to Google, you know, use Google Maps to get whatever uh, you'll figure it out like people did it for a few thousand years before we even had cell phones it's not going to be that hard like ask somebody you know a question hey where's this restaurant at if you're late you know your friend you just hang out for a few minutes your friend's probably going to show up and so what happens is it feels like a little superpower man like you feel like oh, i'm not in the world and i'm without my phone and i can survive nobody <laughs> else is doing that like, I'm kind of a badass. And, it, and it, believe it or not, it really feels like that. Even when you're working, you kind of feel, you feel good. Like, man, I just knocked out a day's work and I didn't even use my phone. That was awesome. So the practice of like, it's New Year's now, you guys, it's 2020, make one of those resolutions to take time away from your phone. And I think you'll just be empowered by it. It's really healthy. It helps you be more focused. It helps you be more productive. It helps your brain focus, uh, function on higher levels. And yeah, it's a good, good fun exercise to do. Awesome, man. All right. So
0: I now need to ask you about the podcast, The Business yes method. You have been just crushing it and putting it out. Super fantastic content. Thank you. I would love for you to start with just sort of sharing the concept of the show and, you know, the different sort of seasons that you did as you got the show off the ground. You're now over 400 episodes. And then I would love for you to reflect and share what for you have been maybe a couple of the biggest sort of Aha uh-huh moments or takeaways that you personally got from your guests. Like one of the reasons that I love hosting a podcast is because I get to interview really smart, interesting people and then they teach me things and then I can implement them. Like I'm literally like taking notes yeah. as you're talking and I'm going to implement a bunch of the stuff that we talked about. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the concept of your show. And then what for you have been a couple of the top takeaways, like super light bulb moments that your amazing guests have shared and
1: influenced you. Yeah. So the Business Method Podcast, we actually started it, Matt, as I I just wanted, like we were doing these business accelerators. We did one in in Barcelona, then Thailand, then Rio. And we were getting so many great stories from it. I wanted to get testimonials on the microphone and send out to the world about the results that people were getting from our business accelerators. And so I did a bunch of episodes like that. And then I, I was really enjoying having these conversations, just like this conversation, like I'm learning from you, you're learning from me. It's valuable. And, and the thing is, is like when we're, you and I are traveling the world, when we're meeting up with our entrepreneur friends, we'll have these dinners and we'll have these really powerful conversations that could help so many people. And I thought, man, we need to record more of these and get these out to the world. Cause it's just really, it can, it can really help a lot of people. And so, so at that time when I took, decided to take podcasting like really seriously, I wanted to have a series where I did a hundred podcasts in a hundred days with a hundred entrepreneurs that make over a hundred thousand dollars a year or more in their business. And I thought like, this is a great way to prove and to implement my productivity techniques. This is a great way to launch a podcast and get some momentum and a great way to meet some people. And it's a big hairy ass goal, you know? So that gave me some momentum and some passion as well. So I did it. I thought, you know, maybe after 30 podcasts or so, I'd run out of friends, and I'd have to work really hard to find guests. And what I found is that every person that really came on the show, they knew one or two or three people that would be, you know, they're kind of in a similar spot. It might be a good guest for the show, so they started doing some referrals, and and it became really easy to get more and more people. It was a lot of work to pump 100 episodes out in 100 days, and actually, I think I did. 101 episodes in 106 days to be fully transparent but it was a lot of work because i was doing everything i was doing the editing i was doing the posting uh content creation publishing all of that and we were doing like episodes anywhere from 30 to 60 70 80 minutes or so and so it was it was a lot of work but it was fun like at the end of that series i thought well let's do another series we've i've got all this momentum you know, like I've been publishing seven pod- podcasts a week, no problem. I've got the habits down. So I thought, let's do. We did six figures, so so let's do a hundred seven figure location independent entrepreneurs. And so, as like traveling the world and meeting guys like you, Matt, um, and and many people that we run around with, that I realized we were no longer the backpackers with a laptop. We've created a new lifestyle, and many of us that started off as backpackers with a laptop have built really amazing solid businesses that were being featured in podcasts like the four hour work week that people were selling for seven figures or pulling a million dollars in revenue in on their business and they built sound businesses while traveling the world and building their teams and, and having, you know, living a dream life. So I wanted to interview these guys and girls, men and women and and get behind the science behind that. And so I did that. That was a hundred episodes. And then when that wrapped up, one of the things I wanted to do is like get in touch with more major influencers, people that have a significant amount of influence. And they're using that responsibly to um, build business, to uh, do business with other people and to uh, make a better world. And so I started interviewing 100 major influencers. So that's the series we're on now. I think we're about 70, 75% of the way through with that. And yeah, so so some of the aha's that really came out for me is like podcasting is one of the best network hacks in the world. I remember in the first series that I did, I cold emailed the founder of Squatty Potty. Uh, his name's Bobby Edwards. I sent him a cold. I sent the company a cold email, and I said, "Hey, I'd love to interview Bobby on the podcast." This was 2017, I think, and they said, "Yeah." Uh, let's do it. At the time I was in a co-working space in Rio de Janeiro and at the co-working space, it got really loud that evening. And so I was like, man, there's nowhere, I can't record in here. It's going to be too loud. And so, but what I knew is that the alley next to the co-working space still had really good wifi. I could go out, it was quiet out there and I could record the podcast. So I'm literally sitting here and it's in this alley in Brazil. (laughs) And I get Bobby on the line, and I go, hey, Bobby, how are you? And he goes, man, he goes, I just got off The View a few minutes ago. It was a great time, and I'm really glad to be here. And for those of you that don't know, The View is like the number one day talk show for women in the united states in north america i think and literally he walked off the set of the view he goes to his hotel room he picks up the he opens up his laptop and he gets on a podcast with me this guy in alley in brazil and i thought i thought that is the power of podcasting right there because if you have a platform like podcasting like this, you can get people on the line that you would never talk to in any other circumstance. It would be really hard to get a hold of. You maybe have to pay thousands of dollars to go to their seminar or to do their coaching, or, you know, if they even have time to, to spend time with you. But if you have a platform like a podcast, you can get these amazing people on the show and you get their time. And so that was one major aha moment. Another major aha moment is that, like, I have a hard time these days, like, doing masterminds or going to conferences and figuring out what to listen to and what not to, because I get so many awesome people on the podcast and I just ask them the questions that can help my business. So, you know, if I'm struggling with copywriting or, you know, email marketing or something during a time, I get somebody on the show that I know that is decent in that area and I ask them, hey, what would you do? in this circumstance and generally quite often their advice is better than what i could get it at, at, you know a lot of the conferences that i've been to or doing masterminds and so that was another aha in the power of podcasting because like if we're willing to take the time to do a platform like this and there's nothing but wins behind it, especially if you do it over the long term. It's one of the, I think, especially as an interviewee, and I'm curious to see hear your point, but like, it's such a great education. It's a great schooling to be a podcast host because you get to pick the minds of these incredible people, people that you think are the world of because you're, you're putting them on your show, right? You're bringing them into your house, putting them on your, your program. And I'm honored to actually like be a podcast host and have a podcast because it has really changed my life. And anybody that's out there that's thinking about doing it, like I, I recommend doing it. Find a good niche, find something that they love. It doesn't have to be just general business or general anything. There's podcasts about puppy dogs, you know, and, and going for it because if you stick with it, like it'll really it'll, you'll see the effects, especially over a few years on. On how you connect with other people, how you communicate with other people, your status as an entrepreneur—just because you have a cool podcast—and um, I think did that answer all the questions? Yeah,
0: a hundred percent, and I agree with that entirely. It's an amazing networking opportunity, and it's almost like creating your entire, you know, dream team of coaches and advisors because you get to ask them the questions you want to know, which. Mm-hmm. Let's try that right now. I want to ask you about, as podcast host to podcast host, about audience growth strategies for the podcast. So, and there are a number of other podcasters that listen to my show as well. I think this will be super helpful to them. So, let's say, you know, somebody's already launched their podcast, they've got it going, you know, they got their thing, they've, you know, really refined their interview techniques, they're really putting out good quality content. In this day and age, Yes, podcast listenership is increasing, but so are the number of podcasts (laughs) that are coming out. So how do we, as podcasters, what do you recommend? What tips can you give in terms of leverage points for established podcasters to really grow their audience in 2020?
1: Um, So the way that I look at my podcast guests these days um as an established podcaster and I would recommend anybody do this the same do this also as a podcast interview as creating a partnership. So there's a lot of people that just want to get on shows and have one night stands with the podcast. And you know, okay, that 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 works. There's a lot of podcast companies that are just trying to get their clients onto these shows and and, and that's okay. But I'm really Focused on like, and I would recommend a lot of people think about this with their show as well. That um, you're creating a partnership with each person that you interview, meaning that you talk about cross promotion together, meaning that you discuss about um, you know the right tags to use, meaning that you uh, ask them to share the podcast with your network, with their networks, with their email list, to post on Instagram, to give them an easy platform or easy way so they can have a little Instagram post or social media post. And so to make it easy for them, but also to make it a bit of a partnership. And so that's what I focus on nowadays. Like The people that come on the show, I ask them to give an iTunes review, and then I ask them to uh, do a cross-promotion together. And generally when we talk, so sometimes they're hesitant but i say you know come on the show like we'll work it out we'll figure it out and so i have a personality that i can connect with people pretty well and so generally after a few minutes like we connect on something we have a good show afterwards almost always they say yeah i'll share this with my audience this was a great show and so if you're doing good as a podcast host you're connecting with them you're making them feel good about sharing their story with their audience and I've gotten on, um, you mentioned an email list on social media channels with some really awesome people that I wouldn't have before, and so that's one of my major recommendations. You know, if you're established part, if you're an established podcaster, if you're you know already doing the things, social media growth, and so I think that's one good. Hack or technique or method that you can use that can really open up the doors to take your podcast to the next level. What also happens too is because if you're a partner, if you become a partner with your guest, they become a you know somewhat of a friend, and they're, they they're promoting you. They're saying, "Yeah, I was just on the Business Method Podcast with this guy, Chris Reynolds. It was really cool. You should check it out." Like you'd be good to go on to or you know, telling the audience, "Check out my interview. It goes really in depth about um, talking with." To Chris about my story and, and the things I learned along the way and the hacks that I use to grow my business and this sort of thing. And then I always, at the end of the show, I say, you know, is there anything, do you have any special projects that, that you're working on that I can support you with? Is there anything that, uh, how I can help you in any way, connect you with any people? Cause I'm coming across some really awesome people. And, you know, every once in a while they'll say, they'll say no, but a lot of times they'll say, yeah, like I'm working on this cool project. Do you know anybody that can, I, can, I can connect with that way? I'm like, yeah, I interviewed this person, you know, six months ago. I think that would be a good match. And then you become the connector as well. Awesome. That's really good advice, man.
0: I also want to talk to you a little bit about travel Chris, as I mentioned earlier, I feel like you and I have been doing the full-time world travel thing for a lot longer than most people do it. So I'm, I'm really excited to sort of get your opinions on some of this stuff. And I want to just start off with a macro question and just ask you, at this point in your life, why do you travel in general? What do you get, <laughs> what do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you?
1: So I was thinking about this recently. I can't not travel and so like this state I guess you could say stable or stagnant life or life in, in one place it's just lot not for me like I'll do four four weeks back home or you know a period of time in one place before the itch just comes in and it's like okay I've got to see somewhere else I've got to go somewhere else the other thing is is really like nowadays I travel, more than just experiencing a new country, but to do it for another purpose, either connecting with my friends, going to a conference, having a really cool experience, knocking off, you know, something that a bucket list item that's really important for me. And so it's like just something that's inherent. And, and when you have this lifestyle, you have so many more opportunities that open up. So if you think of the wealthy people from the past, they had the ability to travel because they had money to different cities. And because of that, they had more opportunities. They had more opportunities for business and investing and making more money and doing more things and providing better education for their children based on choice and not based on necessity. And so the great thing about location independence is you can have – Those opportunities open up for you because you are location independent. You know, if I want to go to Portland next week for a conference or for an investment opportunity or something, I can just hop on a plane and go and not have to worry about my income or, you know, a car that's sitting in my driveway that I'm never going to use again or that's not being used or whatever. Or if I want to go to Thailand or Bali or, you know, Mexico or wherever, we have that ability. And so, you know, Tim Ferriss really highlights this really well. The four hour work week lifestyle is not necessarily about just working four hours a week. It's about creating location independence. So you, you become part of what they call the new rich. So your opportunities become so much more great so much greater and more powerful because you have the ability to go wherever you want whenever you want and so that's what I love it's like not always about the travel I don't want to go to Canada in September but because there's a conference there that uh, my friend's brother is running they asked me to speak at um, I can connect with some really amazing people Um, I'm gonna go you know? And so it's just little things like that. It's, I love the travel for, for me now is almost like the bonus. It's like the icing on the cake for developing, creating this type of lifestyle. It's not the priority, believe it or not. It is the ability to, to grow more as a person and grow my business and connect with more people and live a more epic, fulfilling, high performance, well-balanced, awesome life. That's amazing, and how do you structure your
0: travel plans, your travel cadence when you design your lifestyle you're, you're at the the beginning of the year and you're thinking about what your year is going to look like, where you want to spend time? How do you think about that and plan out your travel wise
1: Yeah, so I, I usually have my year, my locations uh, for the year planned, probably in September, October of the previous year, maybe even August. Just because I know the events that I want to go to, the people I want to be around, the things that are happening in the location. So one of the things for our slow mad lifestyle is the past four years, every year I've spent Q1, the first early part of the year in Brazil, and then a long summer, extended summer in Europe, and then the fall in Thailand, and then back in the U.S. for a month or so. And that has been a really cool kind of Life travel itinerary because I have, a, you know, the home basically a home base in Brazil and then a home base in Thailand and then a home base in Europe, but you know, different little different places and then a home base in the US. And so I think that is a a really good way for slow mads that need more of that base, but can't stay put just in one place. And so this year is a little bit different for me. I'm actually going to do six to eight months in Austin, Texas, only because, and this is the first time I spent that much time in the U.S., in eight years, nine years, I guess, And I'm doing that because the community there, everybody is just raving about it. I want to spend some time like building, you know, getting some more foundation uh, set up in the business, but connecting with and creating a network of awesome people in Austin. And people just rave about the, the, the city. People rave about the community that's in Austin. And when people are raving about something, almost always like it's a good bet. It's, it's going to be like challenging for me to be that long in one place because I've never been that long <laughs> in one place forever. And so I'm, I'm a bit worried. I'm like, well, how am I going to balance, balance this out? Maybe I should take a trip down to Mexico and see some friends know in between it or maybe you know do a conference in california or something like that and so we'll see like that's how i like my year just kind of comes up you know i know i want to hit the conference every fall in bangkok that you and i met at i know that like i do my event get shit done live in thailand after that conference every year here so i know i'm going to be there i know i love spending summers in europe so there's a good chance in summer times like i'm I'm going to be around Europe and then sometimes like there'll be a fill in the blank month. Like I have a month between one country and another. Why not go to Bulgaria and spend some time and then head back to, you know, and head over to Western Europe and spend the rest of the this- summer.
0: Well, I hope you're going to get out to Austin in time for the South by Southwest conference. Have you been to that
1: before? No. When is that?
0: Oh man. It's usually March or April. I actually spoke at right it this past year in 2019 and, oh yeah, I was on, it was really? a, we did a panel, it was a panel on uh, remote entrepreneurship in the digital age. And it was just, Dude. I mean, the the South by experience was so far beyond anything I could have imagined. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So I would say whatever you can do to get to that conference, just do it. It is
1: mind blowing. i oh, man, like that's one I've, I've had. I actually forgot that it was there. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned it. So yeah, I'm going to check that out.
0: And I got to ask you about Brazil because it's one of my favorite countries in the world. When you go there and you do your long-term stays, do you go to the same
1: city every time or you go to different places? Yeah. So I went to Rio um, for the previous four years and I I didn't go to different places. Yeah.
0: One of the amazing things about Brazil, because I went to Rio my first time that I did a long-term stay there. I went to for like two months. I was just in Rio and I literally didn't leave Rio for 60 days because I was like, who would leave Rio? Like seriously, right? <laughs> so, so then I leave, and then I'm, you know, people ask me, "Oh, did you see this?" The you know part of Brazil, like, no, 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 I just stayed in Rio. And then I met, ran into somebody, and I and we we're talking about favorite places in the world, and she and I said, "What's your favorite city in the world?" Super well traveled, right? And she was like, "São Paulo." I was like, "You've been to Rio." She goes, "Yeah." And I was like, "And you've been to Tokyo and Istanbul, and you know?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I was like, "São Paulo's your favorite city in the world?" She's like, "Yep." And I'm like, tell me why. So she's telling me why. I was like, I got to go. So then I went back to Sao Paulo, uh, which was unbelievable. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Also one of my favorite cities in the world. And then I went back last year and I went to some of the beach towns. So I went to like Puerto de Galinhas. I went to Pipa. I went to Jericho Cuara and some yeah. of those spots. And I just... I mean, yeah. I just keep wanting to go back to Brazil to see more of it because the different parts of the country are so different, but they're all consistently amazing in that they're Brazilian, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. So, yeah. That's awesome. I love-
1: yeah. Brazilians are great people.
0: Uh, amazing people. And it's just a, a magical country with a magical energy that is just really, really a special place. So, yeah. all right. With that, Chris, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has greatly impacted you over the years that you would highly recommend people check out besides the four-hour work Week?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so another one is that's on the top of my list is uh, Think and Grow Rich. Like my top books are pretty cliché, you know. Think and Grow Rich, Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but I'll 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 talk about Think and Grow Rich. You know, it was written uh, over a period of I think twenty five years. The guy Napoleon Hill interviewed five hundred of the most successful people on the planet during that time. Found out all the similarities and methods they used to be successful. And still to this day, I find myself like going back to the things I learned from it and actually want to reread it. I think it's, uh, I don't think there's very many entrepreneurs or high caliber people out there that has not read that book. And so many personal development companies have been formed off of that book. And uh, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's an
0: amazing one. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool you're currently using that you'd recommend?
1: yeah so I'm minimizing these as much as possible. but one I keep going back at two, I think I mentioned it earlier is Brain FM. Um, it's one of the best apps out there that I have found for productivity music. I used them since they went to beta launch in 2015. This past year, I was fortunate enough to meet the CEO, got him on the podcast. We had a great show but it's been some of the best music when it comes to productivity and meditation, even focus and sleeping. They have music for that stuff as well. And so I recommend FM.
0: Awesome. What is one content medium, maybe another podcast that you listen to other than your own that you'd recommend people to check out? Could also be a blog or YouTube channel or whatever.
1: Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) my favorite one is Joe Rogan. So I'm very, like I said, cliche about this stuff. But one that probably a lot of people haven't heard is the Brain Warrior's Way by Dr. Daniel Amen, and he talks. Uh, he's a neuroscientist, but also a sociologist, and he talks about brain health all the time. And excuse me, a psychologist, not a sociologist. And he's a really, really on top of his game. He's done over like 150,000 brain scans. He knows what's happening in people's brains. So, if you're looking to optimize your brain and your body and, and the stuff that you put into it and how you use it, uh, check out Dr. Daniel Amon's books and podcast. Awesome. If you could have dinner
0: with any person that's currently alive today who you've never met, who would you
1: choose and why? Richard Branson. Because uh, you said he's alive today, right? Or she? Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. He, I love his attitude, his personality you know, I've read one of his books. He's just, just seems like he's at the top of the world when it comes to entrepreneurship, but he seems like a really good human being. So the people that I follow, they always have this, uh, similar things, strong sense of values, being a good person, spreading, you know, figuring out how they can do business and solving problems morally, and just having boundaries for themselves with their ethics and their morals and he just has a fun time, like doing all this stuff. It's like he's a natural entrepreneur. He's a prodigy. He's a really good human at the same time. He's having a good time, so I like
0: Richard. Yeah, I got to hear him speak live in uh, 2019 at the uh, yeah at the Digital Marketer yeah. Conference. Uh, in San Diego. So that was really really a blast and a super special thing. He is quite the character. Okay. If you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, knowing everything that you know now,
1: what advice would you give to 18-year-old Chris? Start a business now. And I love that advice because when we're young, we really relatively have very little risk at all. Start a business. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, I would say start a business as soon as possible. There's no right time. There's no perfect time. The right time is now because you need to get into the trenches to learn entrepreneurship, to figure out what you're going to do, to figure out how you're going to operate as an entrepreneur. And the more that you can practice that, the better you're going to be. You know, I I see so many entrepreneurs And I'm sure you do too, especially in the nomad world that, you know, they're so frustrated after a year or two or three of not getting the results that they want. And like, like flat out, it takes three to five years to build a business. It takes six years of college education just to be an accountant and then probably eight years to be any type of doctor. And so like you to be a martial artist, like the average person takes 10 years to be a black belt in jujitsu. And so you need if you want to be a master at something. You need a good decade. Uh, you need to put in the time and to start as soon as possible. I have some friends, and I'm sure you do too, Matt. That started when they were in their parents' basement at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and by the time they're 30, like they, they're making a lot of money. They can do whatever they want. They can travel the world. They have an amazing lifestyle at the ripe old age of 30. You know, and by the time you know, who knows where they're going to be at 40 and 50. But um, start as soon as possible and do something that you really enjoy doing.
0: Awesome. Last two questions are travel related. First one is, what are your top three favorite travel destinations that you'd most recommend
1: people check out? Yeah. So number one always goes back to Barcelona for me. It's uh, the perfect city and it just has this really good vibe when people arrive in Barcelona. People just say to themselves, oh, I've got to live here. And many people do. <laughs> so one of the most amazing cities in the world. Number two is Italy and specifically Tuscany. I spent a summer there in 2018, long summer. And we had a cottage in the middle of a vineyard. And it was one of the most romantic places on earth. And I think it was probably one of the best times of my life living in Tuscany. And so I really, really enjoyed that culture is rich the food is amazing people are friendly they have an international uh a bit of an international vibe because of the business and and tourism and and some of the other businesses and industries that are there too so that's good as well and then number three i have to keep going back to chiang mai thailand and this gets a bit of you know of a bad reputation at times because there's so many People that are just kind of like either expats there or, you know, not really doing anything. But Chiang Mai, Thailand is one of the easiest, most fun places and most inexpensive places to live in the world. And so my lifestyle is incredibly abundant on less than two thousand dollars a month in Chiang Mai. Um Taking going on motorcycle trips. I'm going to the dentist. I'm doing all my blood work and health work, health stuff that I do when I'm there. I never eat at home. I'm always eating out, eating really good food, healthy food, whether it's vegetarian or like uh, keto or you know just really good Thai food. Or they even have like a you know Mexican and Indian food there. And um, the lifestyle's great. You know our apartment complex has this amazing pool and, and we have a gym and I can go to a Japanese bathhouse for ten bucks and get two or three massages a week for you know 12 bucks a massage and there's no easier place in the world I think they live in than Chiang Mai and it's great because if you're living off a couple thousand dollars a month if you live off three thousand dollars a month like you're living Really well, if you you know even if two thousand dollars a month I'd that really well, but it's just so fun and so adventurous and and I think anybody that uh, can do it should at least check it out once. Awesome,
0: and what are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you've never been that are the highest on your list you'd most like to go
1: Good question, man. Uh, does heaven count Is that one like, <laughs> that's one. You know, like, like because I've traveled so much, I, I've lost a bit of the urge to go to a place just to go to the place. Um, because I like to go to the place for connecting with people, or, or or meeting people, or for business reasons, or some some epic trip. There's a I'd like to go to. Uh, there's a rickshaw run in India that I would like to do, which is like three thousand kilometers on a tuk tuk rickshaw, uh, which is an adventurous uh, trip that I would like to go on one of these days. I would like to check out Russia just because I'd never been there. I'd like to do the Trans-Siberian Railroad, and I think that's a that's a big one. And Greenland and Iceland kind of sound cool too. But, you know, they're not, like, really pulling at me because I, I've got plenty of time. I think I can check them out at any time. And, and, and so my priority is if there's a cool conference somewhere versus going to Russia and doing the Trans-Siberian Railroad. Um, or a cute, cool community somewhere or an opportunity or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that above doing the, the travel just for travel sake.
0: Well, there's actually a nice meshing of those two things, which I just did in 2019, which is called the Nomad Train. Yeah, I did that. Huh? Yeah, it's an organized group. We went with about 30 digital nomads. I literally was doing, I literally recorded a podcast interview with an incredible nice. entrepreneur In a train car... While well, I'm the Trans-Siberian, while we're moving at night, like wow. moonlight shining in the window, you know, we're on a 37-hour train like through Siberia. We got a bottle of wine and we're recording the podcast in the train car. So it was an amazing group of people from all over the world, all digital nomads. And we went you know, as a Russian organized and facilitated. So you have a, a program leader who speaks, you know, fluent Russian and English who's with you the whole time. And you just wow. go all the way through Siberia, you stop at the different towns, you know, local people from the towns, you know, show you around the Town and everything, get to go out to Lake Baikal and see all the really incredible stuff in Siberia. And then you end up in Ulaanbaatar, in Mongolia, where we then proceeded to go through the Gobi Desert, you know, on camels and staying in yurts and just doing really, really epic stuff. But the the group was just incredible and it was really, really a blast. Nice. Yeah. And how many days was that? So the actual train trip, including the stopover cities where you stop over for like maybe, you know, a couple nights or so in each city, the whole train ride from Moscow to Ulaanbaatar was about 14 nights But what we did, I mean, I got a 30-day visa. So then I went, of course, most of us went two weeks early. And so we spent the two weeks between St. Petersburg and Moscow seeing those cities, which were amazing. And then you do these the second two weeks on the train going through Siberia and ending up in Mongolia. So really, really special trip. So I'm happy to give you the info on that, but it
1: was a fun way to do it. Yeah. Do you have good Wi-Fi on the train? On the train, nope. You
0: have a <laughs> you have a SIM card which works, you know, when you're near a town. But the trains are mostly overnight trains, and so they actually the Nomad train provides co-working space access in each of the cities. So you actually nice. do have co-working space and Wi Fi. It's all included in the price. You know, wow. you're, you're staying at hotels in the cities, which also have Wi Fi and stuff like that. So really, it's just yeah. on the train legs themselves when the Wi Fi is out. But that's cool because you're either sleeping. Or you're hanging out with people on the train, which is a really cool community part of the environment, you know?
1: Yeah, I like that. That sounds fun, man. So,
0: yeah, man. Awesome. Well, Chris, I want to respect your time, man. And I want you to let people know, first of all, I would love for you to share a little bit about your event, Get Shit Done Live, what it is, how people can check that out, and also about the productivity, high-performance coaching that you do, and then let people know how they can listen to the podcast and find you on
1: social media as well. Absolutely. And and Before we dive into that, I want to say, like, thanks, Matt. Like, it's been a great, great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I love podcasting on both sides of the mic. So it's been a lot of fun. If people want to check out our live event, it's called Get Shit Done Live. We do it once a year at the end of October in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And it's a really awesome event where entrepreneurs from all over the world, established entrepreneurs from all over the world come. And it's a 10 days of high performance productivity where we set goals. Uh, basically a goal that's going to move the needle in your business and take it to the next level in a 10-day period. And we collaborate together. We hold each other accountable. Uh, We have check-ins twice a day. Literally, people have pulled six months of income out in those two days. Um, We had one guy last year he did, he started a Facebook ads campaign that pulled over $200,000 in revenue for his business. We have people that you know, set these goals to get clients, we did an interview with Emil Goliath recently. He made $18,000 in, in 10 days. We had another guy create a funnel that pulled about um, half a year's income in his funnel just a couple weeks after the event. So really, every year, higher caliber entrepreneurs are coming to that event. It's fun. It's 10 days long, but a lot of people end up staying the month. And uh, for the weeks after, we either continue working or we go you know, climb a mountain or visit a temple or just enjoy Chiang Mai do some fun stuff. So so that's one of our events that we do every year. Then I do high performance one-on-one coaching and for that it is minimum three months one-on-one coaching and we do have a, a very similar model. We basically figure out how we can move the needle in your business Something that's a really juicy goal, something that would be like a year-long goal, and then we aim to knock that out in three months. So it's pretty intense. We do weekly calls in our our coaching, and uh, you guys can check that out at thebusinessmethod.com. And we have under the events or the coaching tab, you can find those. We have an early bird discount because it's still like nine months away, 10 months away from get you done live that's going on and, uh, that'll be going for a while now. And then also for the listeners of of your show, Matt, we'll do a 15% discount for anybody that's interested in high performance one-on-one coaching. Awesome. So we're going to
0: link all of that up in the show notes folks. So you can just go to one place at the maverick Just click on the show notes for the Chris Reynolds episode. And we're going to have links to everything Chris just mentioned right there, as well as your discount code for getting a discount. If you want to check it out and then can they find you on social media as well or connect with you that way?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can, um, I'm at Chris Reynolds, Chris Reynolds live on all social medias. And, um Yeah. Awesome. Say hi, leave a comment, tell me what you're up to, ask questions, feel free. Awesome. All
0: that's going to be in the show notes at one place. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. This was absolutely a blast.
1: Dude, I I enjoyed it a lot, man. Thanks for having me on the show and I hope, uh, hope we can do it again sometime.
0: All right. Good night, everybody.
1: Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded
0: webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes
1: most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.